Welcome to the podcast of Ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. In January, the UK government published a green paper on its proposed industrial strategy and invited responses to a consultation survey. The strategy outlines 10 pillars of this strategy, covering everything from supporting research and innovation and improving the skills base, through to upgrading infrastructure and delivering affordable green energy. For some, the green paper seemed rather unambitious, including proposals and funding that have already been announced and rowing back on other radical proposals like workers' representation on company boards. For others, the whole idea of government having an industrial strategy is anathema, bringing back bad memories of unprofitable state-owned industries being propped up for political purposes with taxpayers' money. So what is the right way forward? To discuss this, I'm joined by Patrick Hayes, Director of the British Educational Suppliers Association and a veteran of the educational publishing sector. So, Patrick, let's just start with some first principles. I mean, do do we need an industrial strategy? I I think very much so. I I think it's refreshing that we actually are hearing now a government talking about and calling for an industrial strategy. We now have a department that has incorporated that into its title for the first time in a very long time. We have the Department for Business, Energy and, and Industrial Strategy. Strategy. And while this 132-page tome that we have in front of us I don't think is anywhere near ambitious enough, at least there is uh, some evidence of government now talking the talk in terms of the need to actually deal with what's effectively been flatlining productivity rates over the past decade here in the UK. But as I said, I don't think it's ambitious enough. Uh, and I think what we really need is something quite radical in order to revitalise the economy. And this doesn't really exist within the pages of this document as it currently stands. Tell us a bit more about what's in the document, why you think it's a bit ambitious. There's a lot of repackaging of what's already been announced in here. So, for example, you've got, you know, talk of Heathrow, Hinkley Point, uh, High Speed uh, HS2. Uh, You've also got, you know, things that have already been proposed, like, you know, a a 2.3 billion... um, uh, investment in health, housing infrastructure. You've got the talk, and this came out of the autumn statement last year, of about $5 billion a year, which is going to be uh, put into a national productivity investment fund, which to a large degree is positive, but actually that still only amounts to about another 0.5% of GDP, and we need to see much more investment if we're really going to see transformative growth in the economy. So... Any good stuff other than the fact that they've actually started to talk about an industrial strategy? At uh, all? I mean, a return to talk about productivity, because I think in the past uh, there's always been talk around um, the need to build a sustainable economy, and sure, there is certainly a, a tipping of the hat to make sure that we talk about kind of a carbon neutral economy here. But I think they're starting to focus on the right metrics again, and actually, even growth is back on the agenda. Uh, and it is quite good that post Brexit, um, it does seem to have shaken the government to the extent that it actually isn't embarrassing to talk about the need for economic growth and to um, actually try and expand the size of the pie that we're all divvying up at the moment rather than just making do with less. Um, This at least is a strategy for growth rather than a strategy for austerity that we've seen uh, pretty much for the last 10 years. When people talk about industrial strategy, certainly in the last 10 or 20 years, they've said, oh, well, just remember the 70s and the 60s and we we were propping up... um, you know, failing industries or we had one white elephant after another um, and even things that were relatively successful like Concord were hugely expensive in their time so that's kind of the, 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 the British kind of stereotype of an industrial strategy is that is that always been the case around the world or have, have other countries succeeded where Britain has failed uh, I mean 
you don't want to idealise China too much because, uh, and certainly in my role at BSO, I spend a lot of time over there. And the scale in which industrial development is taking place is phenomenal. Now, rates of productivity, if you compare uh, productivity growth, if you compare it to the UK, are considerably higher. So um, certainly, if you look back over the last decade, you're seeing rates rates of productivity growth at 10, 12 percent compared to the UK's two uh, percent or less. Now that's declined a little over recent years. But the scale of development we're seeing over there is is certainly something that, uh, you know, if you think about it, it's going to... I don't know if they're even going to build HS2 within my lifetime. You know, China is building, you know, one university every week. Uh, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're starting the development of two coal pl- power plants every week. Um, I think they plan to build 66 new airports over the next five years and about 12 to 24 new cities every year. I mean, the scale of development over there really eclipses that of the UK and actually explains um, to a certain extent why the zombie economy as the economist Phil Mullen puts it has been propped up quite considerably over the last couple of decades because what we've seen is the rise of China and the emerging economies and they have been investing considerably uh, they've been investing their surplus into uh, bonds in the US uh, into companies uh, and into cheap credit for for the western world Right. Okay. So, so in, going back to the UK situation, mm. so we could be more ambitious. What kinds of things would you like to see that would that would reflect that that level of ambition? Well, I, I think the good thing about the industrial strategy, and you know, there are a lot of negatives, is that they're not just saying we need to prop up dying industries, like for example, the, the steel industry. It's not saying we're going to invest. Two billion in order to keep Tata Steel alive. Um, what it is doing is it is focusing on new areas, there's such as digital tech, na- nanotechnology, biotech, robotics. There is a sense that actually we need to innovate rather than just just try and prop up uh, existing uh, ex- existing businesses. But there isn't enough actually on how to remove a lot of the regulation and policies that have really been put in place over the last couple of decades um, that frustrates the, the development of these new industries. And, um, uh, you know, I think what, one example, if you go back to, for example, the 2002 Enterprise Act, um, they have a lot of, that, that really changed the way in which the UK um, dealt with it, the insolvency of businesses to try and basically chuck out a lifeline to as many failing businesses as possible to make sure a large degree of their assets were maintained. Uh, that causes real problems when it comes to new startups and also uh, when it comes to old businesses that can no longer compete, um, uh, actually going bust and allowing basically a phoenix to rise from the ashes. Yeah, so, so it, it's, uh, as you said, with the zombie economy, it's, it's you know, they're almost like, these companies are almost like bed blockers of, of the economy mm. that, that, that they... They, they prevent the market, a more open market for, for the new uh, innovators and new uh, startups. Yeah. And I do worry in the industrial strategy, there's a lot of talk about the state playing a greater role in procurement. And again, procurement legislation is something that we're rallying against all the time. There is a ten- the state doesn't necessarily do that very well, although every generation there is an attempt to meddle in, uh, in procurement processes to make them more efficient. What they tend to do is to lock out the new players and the new startups that might be developing innovative new ideas. And it tends to fa- uh, 
favour the status quo, just to basically be approved uh, for government procurement policies is a nightmare a lot of the time. We're seeing this particularly in education up in Scotland at the moment with their Excel framework. And what it tends to mean is it basically favours the incumbents. So it favours the people that are in place already that can afford to have a team that's basically filling out large volumes of kind of bureaucratic forms in a way that startups just can't manage. So, so I think this, um, the government needs to be very, very careful when it comes to uh, procurement policies in particular, because uh, more intervention doesn't necessarily mean more efficiency. It can actually uh, really stifle innovation. We are always compared very unfavourably with Germany, with its uh, technical education. While we are getting a very high proportion of our young people into universities, I suppose the, the, the stereotype would be that they're all doing media studies and golf course management uh, when we need engineers and scientists. I mean, is this a problem that is capable of being solved? I think, uh, I mean, it's interesting how skills effectively becomes the panacea uh, now for, for a lot of the industrial strategy. It's all about training people from very early years in coding. Uh, and, you know, we've recently seen a government announcement for the DfE saying that they're going to introduce lessons mandatory for, for all pupils at secondary school level uh, that, that will um, allow them to deal with cyber terrorism you know, to make sure that they, they're preparing a generation to be, that's equipped to deal with these kind of issues. Um, I think that there's too much obsession with skills in the broad sense at the moment. Um, in Germany, Germany, yes, it does have a very rich uh, traditional uh, education um, and a focus on skills, but it also prioritises knowledge. And I think um, what tends to happen within the UK is there's a focus on soft skills. We're so obsessed with um, future-proofing the skills that we're teaching pupils in the classroom at the moment that the skills that they get tend to be without any knowledge about the subject that they're going to be applying themselves to. So if you want to be an engineer, you need a very strong, robust knowledge of STEM subjects. Uh, it's not enough to just have good communication and leadership skills. And I think what we've actually seen is the hollowing out of the knowledge that fundamentally needs to underp uh, underpin a lot of the development of skills. But again, I, I think there's an overemphasis on skills. Um, schools are being burdened with too much as it is. I think to suggest that actually now they need to train the, the, you know, the future industry leaders is just too much. I, th I would say just get on with teaching them the knowledge that you've been imparting for, for decades. Uh, you don't need to train future business leaders as well. Are you hopeful, though, this is a new turn towards um, a, a sort of a more growth-oriented outlook and maybe we sort of clear away some of some of the crap, especially some of the green crap, as David Cameron called it. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not hopeful that the government will do anything without sustained lobbying from both the public and also uh, from, from, from industry. And I think it's very important for us now to really have that debate. So, I mean, at least there is an industrial strategy, at least... Actually, post-Brexit, the government is listening a bit, a bit more. The status quo, the way in which they propped up the economy, but also the sense that, that, you know, that they were in a very comfortable, very complacent position has now been wiped away. And they are listening and engaging. And I can say this from someone that's working very closely with them at the moment, in a way that just wasn't the case prior to the Brexit votes. Now, that isn't necessarily going to last for a long time. And a, a, a lot of talk doesn't necessarily translate into action. And I think it's very important that every step of the way we hold the government government's feet to the fire. But I don't think this industrial strategy is actually doing enough at the moment. I don't think it's ambitious enough. Um, I think if you look to other countries and you can look to Germany, you can certainly look to China. 
and they're doing far much in ter- uh, more in terms of productivity, in terms of investment in research and development. I mean, uh, the industrial strategy makes clear that um, the UK actually currently only invests 1.7% of its GDP in research and development. That's considerably low, the OECD average of 2.4%. And while there is some limited funds being made available at the moment for, for, uh, for future R&D, we're not seeing the huge step change that we would need to really transform the economy. So uh, I think it's a positive move post-Brexit that these discussions are being had, that the language of productivity and growth are now back on the agenda. But every step of the way, we need to hold the government's feet to the fire and we need to demand more and better, not just a continuation of the status quo, not just muddling through. That's fascinating. Thanks very much for your your thoughts. Patrick Hayes, Director of the British Educational Suppliers Association. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in hearing more of our podcasts and subscribe, to them, please go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast.